Hi everyone, welcome to QCCS Mackaiko's Change Again podcast. I'd like to acknowledge the Yuiwara people of the Kulin Nation and pay my respects to our past, present and emerging. This episode is recorded with Jade J. Mitch Mitchell, super middleweight, world-rated boxer. Jade resides in Mornington Peninsula in Victoria. His current record is 21-2. and two. Change the Game. Brought to you by the Mackay Cutters. Jade Mitchell, super middleweight boxer from Moynton Peninsula. Grew up in Rye, Blagowry. You uh, have a record 21 and 1? 21 and 2. 2. Oh, arguably, arguably, I didn't count. It should I be didn't, 23 and 0. But we'll, that's right. I didn't we'll, count one of them. <laughs> <laughs> No, but thanks heaps, mate, for jumping on. We've got a a long relationship from junior days through now still keeping in touch and working together. So it's really good to have you on this platform because I think there's a lot of experiences that you can share with the people that do listen to this podcast, you know, some of the things you've gone through, boxing and then also everyday life that, yeah, people are going to hopefully take a little bit from. And, And some of those things are, you know, having a chase in the dream of professional fighter and and titles and making that work but living living the other dream too of being a dad and you know needing to also make ends meet and have put a, a roof over your head for you and your young family so let's start there mate let's start there with i've got down here a note uh live to work or work to live look live to work or work to live i live to work or work to live it's it's a fine line man because i i'm chasing this boxing thing right now and I've got a very supportive partner. Um, Tegan's been amazing. Now, I'm doing boxing now. This is, this is all for me. This is for me. I don't have to box because I need money or anything like that. I, I make I make more money when I'm not boxing. So for me now, although in saying that, I'm at the stage in my career where things do get pretty lucrative, but I don't have to do this. I do this for me now. But in saying that, I would not do this. If my family was going to miss out and couldn't have the lifestyle that I wanted them to live, then... I'd have to give up boxing, but I have a really good supportive partner and because fam, family comes first. I think everyone's like that. And um, if this was some sort of pipe dream and I was terrible at fighting but wanted to keep doing it. So if the record I, was 2 and 21? Yeah, <laughs> it was 2 and 21. There's no way I'd be doing this. Look, it's a tough sport, dude. I wouldn't be doing this if I were, if, if I didn't think I could compete at the highest level, I wouldn't be doing it. And if, if I couldn't support my family through fighting... I wouldn't be doing it, but um, look, I didn't just come this far just to come this far, and I still think I compete compete at the highest level. I love this. I love the lifestyle, but it's all about looking after your family too, mate. Yeah. So talk to me a little about some of the struggles that you have gone through. Concreted by trade, had your yep. own, or still got your own business on the side. Yep. But mixing that with your passion. Well, look to do both properly. They both suffer. You can't. The level I'm at now with boxing and running a, running a company, doing doing a little bit of work in and around in and around boxing has been really hard. Especially, you would know better than anyone with miles on the clock now. It's I've got to make time to do those those extra little things with training to keep my body all in one piece because the rigors of training camp when you're getting ready for a ten or twelve round fight, it is it's full on. So you have to do all those tiny little boring things like all constant activation, stretching all these different mobility drills and stuff like that just to keep your body in one in one piece as well as doing the hard work 
as well as still earning a dollar to keep to keep the bills paid, to keep a roof over your head, to keep so you, your family can live the life they want. So now I'm in the position now, but where I can be a full time athlete again. I've got all my sponsors back. It'll be just like it was before COVID because that's that's really where the wheels fell off is when COVID hit. Before COVID, I was sitting at number eight in the world. I dropped a split decision that I like. I led allegedly. Like I still don't accept that loss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sound like every boxer who ever lost a close fight. <laughs> but I'm telling you, if you haven't seen the fight, just take my word for it. I was riffed. Now, but look, things changed so quickly then. Like I, I was earning an okay living out of boxing. I was just starting to make money out of it. TV just got back involved in Australian boxing again, and life was life was looking good. I had fights lined up, and we're making money. And it had been a long it had been a long road to get to that point. And I had been a full time athlete for five years, and slowly climbing, climbing, climbing. And I'd been in the top fifteen in the world for like two years, three years almost. And the money was coming, and I got some unbelievable life changing offers. But I had to have a surgery and whatnot. And I was I was right right on the cusp of it was it was about to happen. Then COVID hit, and pretty well overnight, every single every single financial sponsor was like, uh, "We don't know how this is going to go." Uh, surely you understand, so. Yeah, I understand. It's all good. But I was very, very lucky that I had a trade to fall back on. Yeah, as you said, running a business on the side. I wasn't running a business on the side before that. I was a full-time athlete. I could concentrate on training. You were looking after my strength when you were down there at Melbourne Storm and Collingwood Football Club. And everything everything was great. And we, we'd keep my body in one piece and and everything was, was going along good. But once COVID hit, I had to I had to put the gumboots on and go back to work. Because I, I had that little bit of money that I made at a boxing, I threw up my house thinking like, here we go. Who the hell knew COVID was going to be what it, what it was and do what it did, especially down here in Melbourne. Like, I don't think people realize or can, like, it sucked in Melbourne. Like, it was, it was shit, mm. um, for lack of better terms. Um, so, yeah, I had to put the gumboots on and go back to work. Now, when COVID did hit, as I said, I was sitting at number eight in the world. The fight before that, I beat former world champion from Russia, Stanislav Kashinov. Biggest, biggest win of my career, live on Fox Sports. My company at the time were just so happy with me. It's not funny. I dislocated my or sublaxed my shoulder at the end of that fight. Now, I didn't listen to yourself, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry, and I didn't listen to that. That's recorded. And, and, I, train, <laughs> and I trained like an absolute madman after that fight. Doing, and Dad's like, my father... He's old school as. He's like, you're not a fucking cross. I can swear, can't I? It's a well, podcast. You just did. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But you're not a fucking CrossFit athlete, mate. You're a fighter. You need to do your boxing and your road work. That's all you need to do. And you eat steaks and you eat salads and that's all you do. That's your nutrition and you just punch shit and go running. That's all you have to do. Old school. And he's like, and he's, you're not a pup anymore. You're 34, mate. He goes, I guarantee you're going to fucking hurt yourself because I'm throwing weights around. I'm going off your program and David Francis's program. And I was training hard. I'd just beaten former world champion. No one had ever sat him on the seat of his pants. I'm the first man to drop him. Ignatius Missalidis, you're not going to listen to this, but you missed that one. So I'm not happy with you. But anyway, so biggest win of my career. So I'm on the biggest high ever. And I start to, I'm just training my ass off. I didn't, I took not even a full week off training. And I didn't do, I wasn't doing the little things. I wasn't listening to my shoulder. I did, I was doing, I was doing all my activation and stuff. And because it was just a sublax. So it just, it come out. And so I had uh, minor tears in my, two minor tears in my labrum and a small tear in my subscapularis. So just complete instability in my shoulder, training like an absolute lunatic. And sure enough, as soon as I got back in my box and dad's like, cut that shit out. 
listen to Mitch. You don't touch a weight. Unless Mitch says you can touch a weight, you don't touch it. Like, chill, old boy. It's going to be good. We're good. We're going to take it to a new level this year. We're going to be champion of the world. Sure enough, I completely dislocated my shoulder. And then I trained like like a marathon runner to get ready for a world-class fight. Starved myself. Did everything wrong. Yeah, so let's COVID go through hit. that. You know, you... Yeah, you talked about COVID, talked about injury. You went yep. back, you had to go back to work. No yep. money coming in. So yep. that all equals putting on weight. Yeah, well, I, um, I, there's just a giant fat man inside of me just dying to get out. And look, if beer didn't taste so good, I'd be the champion of the world. I'm telling you. No, look, I, I think, I think it comes down to me not, I knew nothing about nutrition my whole career. And my nutritionist was, um, dear old dad, Lenifer. You eat steaks and you you eat steaks and you eat salad and you're getting ready for ten round fights. I would eat leafy greens and I'd eat just just lean meats and I'd be that depleted. I'd just get through training just being a pig headed lunatic. And it wasn't until I met Michelle Reeves that she was doing some work with some Collingwood players and you put me onto her before Kastanov. And I that was the best shape I've ever been in body wise in that. It's it's phenomenal the difference in my body. Learning about nutrition and um, and doing things properly, fueling your body properly for these workouts, building lean muscle to get ready for these to get ready for these fights. Instead of instead of starving myself at a massive calorie deficit through camp, getting by being a pig-headed lunatic, stripping water out of a fatter frame, you, you, pulling water out of fat is near on impossible. Pulling water out of lean muscle mass that you've put on through camp, so much easier. So I reckon that's been. So my big, weight has been the biggest thing because when I was a kid, you're full of testosterone. You fuck, you feel awesome. You just you at a calorie deficit. It doesn't matter. But as you get older, and the dripping water wears away the stone. As I've kept going, weight cuts have gotten harder and harder and harder because I knew nothing about nutrition, just what old school old Lenifer had told me. And it sounds like I'm just ragged out. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> I love you, but, Dad, but, but and, and they're dangerous. And you've had very some dangerous. Pretty bad ones. Brutal weight cuts, and I've been um, in amongst them. You know, yeah, holding holding you up in saunas and things like that. Um, Disgusting. Yeah, and you've had to lose you know twenty to thirty kilos you know over a number of times for a weight cut. Um, yeah, yeah. Talk us through those times. It comes down to poor nutrition, and that's that's sort of what I was getting to. So yeah, throughout my whole career, I was able to do moments, that. Like, those moments, yeah, or like. What's what you want to know people, mentally how yeah, you pull people, through something like that. Give, um, give people a bit of an insight into how you, bad it actually gets. Yeah, where your mind goes, where your body is. Where your mind goes. Look, it's just, I don't know. I just find if you put your mind to anything, you can do it. And you just, I don't know, you just got to bite down and just get it done. Like it is, it is a disgusting feeling when you haven't eaten for two days, you haven't had any water for two days and you're sweating and your body will not your body doesn't want to give up that fluid. It's so tough. It is so tough. You get to a point and your body just will not give you anymore. And then that's when you start to lose consciousness. That's when your kidneys want to shut down on you and stuff like that. And I've lost consciousness before cutting weight. And this is, this is not being, this is not, once again, thanks to yourself, you finally got me in, in touch with Michelle Reeves, who's, who's helped a lot. I would always, whenever I was cutting weight, I don't know if any of your listeners have ever heard of a fellow by the name of John Van Wees. He's the arch to arch, absolute freak of nature. He beat the world record for the arch to arch, which is a 140 kilometer run. You swim the English Channel 
and then it's a 230-kilometre bike ride to the Champs-Élysées in France. So it's it's absolutely brutal. This man beat the world record by 16 hours. And if if anyone out there, you look up you look up John Van Weese, look up he's just on YouTube. Oh, the name of the the name of it escapes me now. But if you just look up him at John Van Weese arch to arch and see what this man put his body through. So every time the going got tough, I'd be like, this dude's one of my heroes, man. Like he's the most happy, happy, like, I don't know. He's sort of just. Just always smiling, eh? Always smiling. You wouldn't think this man's an absolute animal, but what you can put your body through if your mind is in the game, like is, it's it's up to you how hard you want to push, what you can get through. So every time going got tough for me, it's just like, what would John Van Weese do, you pussy? Let's go. Come on. You can get the weight off. And there's so many times where you just don't want to do it. You don't think you can do it. I, I, I don't know. I'd, it's hard for me to tell you. It's just, I don't know, suck it up. What would John Van Weese do? Don't be a pussy. Let's go. Come on. It's amazing what you can make your, what you can put your body through if the mind is right. It's, it's, it's amazing. I don't, I can't tell you exactly where I go to or what I do. I just, I, um, I might be a little bit different to other people, but I just have like this self-loathing, like, come on, don't be such a pussy. Let's go. <laughs> like, you can do this. What? You don't, th- you, 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 you're going to let a fucking weight cut beat you, but, and, and you think you're going to beat this bloke. You just got to lose some weight. Let's go. Like, you want to be world champion and you, you got to cut this weight or, or like when you're working through injuries and stuff like that. Now, it's also been to my detriment as well, trying to push through instead of listening to my body and, and training smart. Everything, it's all lessons you learn, but it's all mind over matter. I know that sounds so simple, but that is what it is. It is, it's in you, it's in all of us. It's just how hard, how hard you want to push, how much do you want it? And I look at what John Van Weese put his body through. You look at that, you look at that documentary and that makes my weight cuts look like nothing. When they pull him out of the channel when he's off course and he's in choppy waters, and this is the one that he beat it by 16 hours, they pull him out of the water, his eyes are rolling in the back of his head, he can't put down any food or fluids or anything, he's throwing up. They 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 get him back and they they put him in they place him in bed like they lay him down. This is before the doctors used to just pull the cord on it. They lay him down in bed and he's absolutely he's it looks like he's done for. Six hours later, he's up before anyone else. He's like, all right, we're on the road then. Let's go. Like he's on the bike and he's off. He's just happy, smiley Johnny. And the machine gets on the bike and finishes the race sixteen hours quicker than any other humans ever done that before. That is mental toughness. So I just, I just, what would Johnny do? Like, I know I got a lot of inspiration off him. What you can do if you put your mind to it. Yeah. yeah so and that, yeah, you know, I agree. I've seen that and know his story too. And it, it's, it's unbelievable. So if you haven't checked it out, go check it out on YouTube. But you've also had that right from the start. You've had a good amateur career, but then, you know, you rock up to the gym with your dad and say, let's, let's do this. I want to go professional. And yeah. You, so, you walked in, tell us the story, you're overweight. Yeah. Well, I had a decent amateur career. I won multiple state and national titles. I, whenever the time came, I never got to go to the Olympics or Com Games or anything like that. One, I, the very first time I ever dislocated my shoulder was getting ready for Com Games or no, those Olympic trials were coming up. The Com Game trials was my first elite senior one. I was getting ready for that. My appendix burst. Just lots of little things just um, just didn't go my way. Like with, with amateur boxing, it, it's all on a calendar year. So if you're not ready to go and if things don't work perfectly for you in the in the lead up, then it's like, oh, well, bad luck. Try again next year. And I didn't like that about amateur boxing. 
I hated it actually. And there's no money in it either. So my father as well, like I always just want to be a full-time fighter. My father was always like, no, nah, you got to have a trade behind. You got to have something to fall back on. Now, if, if, if I didn't have something to fall back on when I was just whinging about COVID before, when that hit, I'd have been stuffed. But uh, I was always business-minded in that. So I was about 24 years of age and I had just fought at the Australian titles and I missed out on the Australian light heavyweight title, which is the heaviest I've fought at as an amateur because I went as a light heavyweight because one of the Vic head coaches' boys went as the middleweight and they wouldn't fight me. It was, it was a joke. It was a bit political. And so... I missed out by one point on the light heavyweight title and I didn't do the team thing. I came home and went to work because around Australian title, the Aussie titles that year were in December, busiest time of the year with, for us with work. So I was working full time and boxing as an amateur. So I had to get on a plane. I paid my own way home. Of course, I was paid for by the team to get there. Team Victoria paid my own way home. And then uh, they Team Victoria cracked the shits with me then, the world championship trials. They wanted to send someone else, this, this same guy again, the coach's boy, instead of me because I didn't do the team thing. I was already at the AIS sparring with the junior world champion, Damien Hooper, competition sparring, getting ready for world championship trials. And I was told that we're going to send um, Robbie instead of you. I'm like, but I'm already up at the AIS training, getting ready for it. I then um, was told, all right, well, you have to be here on the scales. This is this is uh, Friday night. You have to be here Sunday morning to weigh in, to make weight and then um, fight off at the spot. And I couldn't do it. I was like the Saturday and I had to be there on the Sunday. I'm in Canberra getting ready for the next for the next level because I thought I was already going to world championship trials. So anyway, it would have been a matter for court. So I just cracked the shits with amateur boxing. I'm just like, screw this. I was making money at the time. I was very business orientated with my concreting. So I just concentrated on that. And I, I love boxing. The politics of amateur boxing just really rubbed me up the wrong way. And I was like, I never wanted to be an amateur boxer. I grew up on Mike Tyson and Rocky Balboa. I want to be a professional fighter. That's all I've ever wanted to be. But that dream died because of the way I was treated with the amateurs there. So I I concentrated on work and concentrating on work. Anyone out there who knows concreters or is a concreter, no, like you don't have a drinking problem, you're just a concreter. The beer just tastes amazing when you're when you're concreting. The the thing is is you're with an awesome group of guys, you all work hard together, you just play hard together. And I was working that hard doing such long days that I wouldn't eat. And when I did eat, it'd be like a bakery or a bay-marie and I'd just eat, eat shit, drink whatever I wanted. I wasn't fighting anymore because I'd watched what I'd eaten for so long. I just ran an absolute muck and I ended up blowing out to like 130 kilograms. And oh, I was missing boxing so much. It was actually my wife who's like, well, do it. If you want to be a professional fighter, do it. I was only, um, I was probably 24 when I had my last amateur fight. And then at 28 years of age is when I had my first professional fight i really wanted to do it taking thought well concrete's always going to be there if you want to do it do it i told dad i wanted to do it dad's like mate have a look at you you're an absolute mess if you want to if you want to do it you got to lose the weight prove to me that you want to box again you got to prove to me you want to do it so i got up at like 3 30 the next day a little bit hungover so all 130 kilograms of me i woke up that morning still a little bit dusty from the beers after work the night before like, fuck it, here we go, fat boy. You want to be a fighter again? This is what it's all about. you got to do it. I'm walking down the hallway, ankles, everything sort of aching, and like I said, a little bit dusty, got the runners on. I take off down the driveway. I'm like, fuck it, I'm doing it. I'm back. I'm back. Here we go. I got about 50 metres up the road. I'm like, shit, this is a lot harder than I remember. Got about 100 metres up the road. I'm like, Homer Simpson, like, keeled over. I was like, 
hey, you want to do this? This You want to do this? Let's fucking go, fat boy. You're not stopping. So I made myself run five kilometers the very first morning, 130 kilogram, fat, drunken concreter, made myself do it. And then I did it every single morning to prove to dad that I wanted to do it. And my feet were, my feet were absolutely killing me. So as it turns out, I had broken my, I had compound fractures throughout my feet, my ankles and um, up in my legs, like just, and I kept running on the 130 kilograms, running hard every day. If I'm too heavy now because of the bone spurs and that in my feet, I get a little bit of pain and stuff because all the calcification and stuff from me just constantly grinding out my running every single morning, being a fat pig. But I got it done. And after a few weeks of running, I jumped on the scales with dad and I was 126.7 or 127.6. So I I know for a fact that I was up around 130 kilograms. I never hopped on the scales when I was at my biggest because I just was disgusted in myself. But um, jumped on the scales and dad's eyebrows nearly popped off his forehead. (laughs) (laughs) You got some work to do, fat boy. If you want me to train you, Jesus Christ. Then your first pro fight from then, so... Was it a year or six months? Better year. year. From 130 kilos, I got down to 82 kilos for my first fight. But yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like I just did it. It was hard work. Like yeah. it just consistency. And yeah, so got the weight off, and yeah, got the pro career underway. What have through that? What have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned along the way of your pro career on um, in and out of the ring? Look after yourself, man. Moderation. Like, just just because you can. I've had this stupid thing in my head that I always know I'm going to get fit again. So if I want to, yeah, I'm going to have another beer. If I want to eat some chocolate, I'll eat a whole fucking block of chocolate. Burgers, love them. Like, let's, let's fucking go. I'll get fit again one day. I know I will because I've got this stupid mindset. I missed 100%. If I'm doing it, I flick a switch in my head and I just, I'm doing it 100%. If I decide to let my hair down, I'll let my hair down and it it's out. It's, I'm, it's We're off to the races. Like, I'm having fun. Like, I'm yeah, I'm just wide that way. I just, it's so stupid. Now that I'm getting older, I'm learning moderation. And this, this year, even this year, in fact, Cookie, and you would be very surprised with this, I've just set myself a challenge to be completely sober for the entire year. I love, I love a beer and everything, but I don't, I don't need it because I can always just switch on or switch off. Now and then after that, it'll be all all about moderation. It's not like we're gonna get the clock shot twelve and we're off to the fucking races again. We're not just like, woo, let's go nuts and become a fat party animal. No, like I I feel I feel amazing. I feel amazing. I feel so so clear, so driven, just so yeah. All the all these little lessons along the way that I've learned. It's time for me now to put all all of this into practice and actually do it properly because I've got. There's a finite time in your career. That window's getting smaller and smaller. I, <clears throat> I'm still able to do it. I still believe I'm a world-class fighter. So I'm going to do it and do it properly now. So I suppose it's all about learning moderation because I've, I've done everything. I've done everything wrong. I would have been the shittest bloke ever. As far as doing the work, I'm sure I would have worked as hard as anyone you've trained. I, I swear I would have. But as far as... Doing the wrong things, I'm sure I've been. The, I'm sure I would have been one of the worst guys you've ever trained as well. Yeah, yeah, you're up there. But you also, and like <laughs> you mentioned, you're one of like you, know, you put your mind to it. You've got a goal. Yeah. 
you're 100% committed to that goal. It's just yep. about making sure, and education has been the big one, educating yeah. you along the way of training smarter, eating healthier, getting enough sleep, all the little things that result in the outcome. So the process yep. along the way, it's been, been about that education. And yep. you know, un, not unfortunately, really, guys like yourself tend to learn it at the back end of their career. And you've got now a short amount of time, make the yep. most of the window you've got, but you've got there you've got to this point on talent and, and hard work, hard work. Um, well, probably, and it's a credit, probably, yeah. credit, credit to you and everyone around you to hang in there with you through the, through the journey, <laughs> the ups and downs, but it's, it's also been a good ride. Let's, let's talk about two things I want to talk about. I'll talk about the dad bod yep. and the psychic around the dad bod. You've given yourself that tag. Yeah. Um, and then also we'll, we'll go dead a dream at the end. I want to, I want to know what Mate. my ambitions are. If the shoe fits, mate. If the shoe fits, <laughs> I got a sloppy rig for a professional fighter. There's no, there's no ifs or buts about that. Although I will say, on the scales for Kashinov, I had a six pack, and then the next night, once I hydrated, if you squinted and used your imagination, I still had a six pack. I got in great shape, and that's through, that's through learning proper nutrition and doing it right, and that's what I want to do now. And that's that's where I want to go. But as far as the dad bod thing and all that, like I'm I. I am the everyman. I'm no special, super gifted athlete. I've gotten where I've gotten and done what I've done on nothing but hard work. And just that mindset that anything that you want, anything you want to do, achieve, I hate cliches, but dream, believe, achieve. Like it's, it's that simple. If you want to do it, you can just fucking do it. I am, I am the everyman. I rock the dad bod, but I'm really good at fist fighting. And here we are. So if the shoe fits, man. I'm I'm the everyman. I'm, and that, I think that's what I think that's what resonates with people as well. I'm I'm different. I show a lot of humility. I always speak the truth. Yeah. Um, come out to boy George. Come out to boy George. Do you really want to hurt me? It's all fun, man. Yeah. Like I I see no. There's no need to take yourself too seriously. Like as far as fighting's concerned and your opponents and stuff like that, I don't begrudge any of my opponents. I don't. There's no ill feelings at all. But. I'm competitive. I'm here to. I'm here to win. I love. I lo- I've always been a meathead. I I love fighting. No, don't get me wrong. Like in a in a competitive sense, I'm not. I'm not that guy at all. I couldn't think of anything worse than beating up drunk people. I'm just not that guy at all. If if you if you knew me and knew that I was and didn't know that I was a professional fighter, you'd think there's no way known that this guy's a fighter. Like you just wouldn't. I'm not. I'm not that guy at all. And I'm happy go lucky, but I don't know, man. I just. It's just. There's competitiveness in me that, and I was brought up around boxing. If anything, I, I was sort of pushed away from boxing, but I've just been driven to it. I, anything that's hard, I like. Any little challenge that I can give myself, I like. I like to challenge myself. I like, once again, that that's with like being completely sober for the entire year because I love a beer and that. Like moderation is, is fine. Like I can have a beer if I want to have a beer. That's, that's absolutely fine in moderation. But for me, this is just a little challenge for myself. So, so just we could see a chiseled J Mitch in your next fight. Is that what you're saying? Maybe the fight after next, fight Cookie. That's that's not Rome wasn't built in a day. But let's let, um, let's go back to Dad Bod for a sec because I, I yep. like the psyche around it that you play on with yep. your opponents as well. And yeah. whether do you think sometimes it lures them into a bit of a false sense of security sometimes with you? Oh mate, I reckon majority of blokes think they're going to bash me <laughs> until we actually touch gloves, uh, and that's that's the thing too. Like. I'm nice as part of my opponents, even at presses and stuff. I'll talk a little bit of shit, but it's it's tongue in cheek. It's fun. But like every single fight, 
we come out there and that's, I don't get like the shark eyes until, until I'm actually in the ring, staring across the ring at my opponent. I'm your best friend in the world right up until, right up until the bell rings. And even just before that bell rings, I'm still, I'm still lovely to you. Whenever I touch gloves, I should do a compilation of every time I touch gloves. Like, good luck today, brother. Like, and then when I turn my back, walk back to the corner and then everyone gets out of the ring. You know what? That's actually what I'm going to miss the most about boxing because you, you, I've never felt more alive in my life. Good luck, brother. Touch gloves, walk back to the ring, and you're looking across. If you've got a world-class fighter in the other corner and it's just you and me now and you're staring at each other, it's like, all right, here we go, man. Let's see who's better. Let's fucking go. That is the most alive I'll ever feel. And that's, that's the moment that I'm going to miss the most about competitively fighting. And because you'll never experience anything like that again, then, then, then I'll turn. And I think people do have a false sense of security with me because it's like, oh, this dude's fat. He talks about drinking beers. He's, but anyone who's actually trained with me knows that uh, like I'm, I'm competitive. I just want to beat everyone in everything. And even, and I accept, I accept the losses along the way because there's so many losses along the way. Even now I'm in a, I'm the new gym that I'm at now. I'm in a gym full of young, hungry fighters and I'm, I'm the big dog in there. I'm the one who's been a world-class fighter. I'm up in a, I'm, I've been up there and now they've got me when I'm trying to get fit again. So everyone's just chomping at the bit to get their hands on me. And I don't mind. I'll take an L in the gym, but eventually I'm going to get you. Like, and I tell them, that, I'm like, get in your licks now, lads, because when I'm fit, I'm going to bash everyone. <laughs> like in, in, all in yeah, good in fun. Train. I've just told you that I'm, I'm not a meathead, but that's all in good fun. That's my sense of humor. I don't really want to, I don't really wish any of these young fellas harm, but it, it's good. It, it actually inspires me too being around all these young guys and young talent and they're all pushing and they're all so hungry and they all want it so bad. So um, let, but, let's quickly talk about um, Lamparo because he's from Mackay. Yeah, well, this is Mackay Carter's Change yeah. the Game podcast, but we're steering a little bit of a different direction this year with, with our conversations and, and part of that is talking to people like yourself that yeah. um, can offer some insight into what you do and why you do it. And Lamparo is on his own journey. He's a really talented fighter. What do you know about well, Liam? Well, if you want insight on Liam, you've, you've come to the wrong place, mate, because me and Liam are the yin and the yang. Yeah. That kid is such a professional. He lives it, eats it, sleeps it, breathes it. He's he's amazing, and he could very well be one of Australia's next world champions. Liam Paro is the real deal. And your audience, Mackay, would all know who Liam Paro is, and he's his last performance against a young fellow by the name of Brock Jarvis, trained by the greatest ever do it out of Australia, Jeff Finney, just finished in an emphatic style. Like it yeah, was insane. Like no one, no one. I think Liam knew it. No one else knew it. But signed to the biggest promotional company in the world right now. Liam Paro is legit, man. That kid, that kid can fight, fight. He can box. He can bang. He can do it all. And the way that Ace brought him along and built his career. The opponents on the way, everything was just done. Everything was done right. All the lessons that this old dad bod rock and beer swilling lunatic learnt along the way, Liam Paro's he's done it right from the get go, man. He's legit that kid. So, uh, but see, yeah, I'm even inspired by by Liam, just the way his professionalism, the way he works, and that. Yeah, that kid's legit. Yeah, look forward to keep watching Liam climb the ranks and hopefully bring that world title. Well, look, I think um, his next fight in the UK against, I don't know why, but his name escapes me. I didn't even spar today. I trained before I got here, but his name escapes me. I could look it up on the phone here, but um, he's going 
to the enemy's backyard. Liam Parra is number one in the world with the WBO. Don't know if this is a, an official final eliminator because in Liam Parra's division, you've got Josh Taylor, um, the Celtic warrior, the Scotsman. He's, he's got every single belt in that division. There was talk of him going up in weight, but he's still staying down now. So I don't know if this fight will be an official final eliminator for Liam Paro, and then that will force the hand of Josh Taylor to fight Liam Paro the exact same way that Tim Zhu has now got his fight with Jamal Charlo for the undisputed junior middleweight world championship because he's got he's the mandatory number one contender with the WBO and I believe the IBF as well. So he's had to force the hand of the champion to fight him. The champion has injured himself, so now the WBO makes an interim world title for Tim Zhu to fight Tony Harrison, the only man to beat Chalo. So we could see something like the exact same thing happen for um, Liam Paro, and hopefully Matchroom have done one show in Australia now. Hopefully they bring Liam Paro's world title fight here to Australia. So that would be amazing. Yeah, it'd be unreal. Is it, Australian boxing right now is like it's a hotbed of talent, and we've got real promotional companies here in Australia. I wish I was 10 years younger, man. Yeah, it's exciting times. No limit. Oh, dude, it's it's awesome. Australian boxing is on fire, mate. So, dare to dream for you, mate. Super middleweight world title is is yep. the goal. What's the path and there? The path there is I've got to I've got to win my next fight. I was meant to be fighting a young undefeated up and comer in Blake Wells, who's been, they've been calling my name for a while. And fair play to him. When I keep crapping on about when COVID hit, like as if it's the worst thing ever to happen to me, it sucked. I was number one in Australia when COVID hit. Um, and then this kid, he's sitting at number three now, one spot behind myself. This kid and his team have been calling me out. Now, I don't know whether to be completely offended by this or like pat on the back because you, you, he's, they're wanting to fight who was the top dog before all this shit happened. Um, but anyway, they've been calling me out, calling me out, calling me out. And then um, his management have kind of screwed that up because I was, I was more than happy to fight him. I... I think they see it as a passing of the torch. I want to get that torch and wrap it over the kid's head, but <laughs> I'm not done yet. But either fair play to them or screw you because you think you think that I you think that I'm your you think that I'm a stepping stone, which I'm not. I've still so, got more to offer. So that fight's so I beat, I beat this kid. This fight's fallen through. So they'll find me a decent international opponent that I can get rated inside the top 15 in the world again with one of the sanctioning bodies. But my loss to Istvan Zilli, he's actually the mandatory for the IBO world title. That title has since been vacated. So he needs a damps partner. So my team are going to try to get me rated with the IBO so we can get Istvan Zilli here to Australia to fight me for the IBO world title. That is one option. And that is that is that would be just a dream come true. Mm. So as far as daring to dream... I'm, I'm daring to dream right now. I'm doing the work every single day. I've put my concreting on the back burner. I'm a full-time athlete now until my career is done. I've got four fights left on this contract with no limit. Um, I'm very, very lucky to have the contract that I do with this company. They're doing amazing things. They have the resources, the money, put on amazing shows, and they can get that fight here to Australia for me to help me become champion of the world. So it is, it's a possibility, mate. Like it's, 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 the fact that these guys are talking about it, that their conversation has been had, gives me all the confidence in the world because they don't mess around at all. Like yeah. if they, they, they set their sights on something, they make it happen. So no announcements yet? No, no, no. No announcements about like world titles or anything like that. No, and there's another fight. fight. There's another fight. I've, oh, I shouldn't. There's another massive Australian fight that hasn't been announced yet that I'm privy to. And should that take place, I would like the winner of that. So it might be I fight an international, get rated, 
And then just because my ego's out of control, fight one of these other top dogs just to prove to everyone I'm still the best in the country. And then, then the world title after that. That's what motivates me. And that's what should motivate every fighter out there. Like so many fighters look to protect themselves or they want to take it slow. But I never really had that luxury in my career. So I didn't, didn't turn professional till I was 28. So I was never really babied along. I took risks, took fights, took fights against rated fighters, against good guys that usually people would try and do everything on their own terms. I've never done anything on my own terms. It's only now that I've earned I've earned the position I'm in now with the company that I'm with and that this world title fight could be brought home to Australia for me. So my message out there to young fighters is is have a crack, step up, take chances. If you back yourself and you believe you can do it, do it. Have a crack. Mm, earn the right. Uh, 100%. Earn the right. I've always wanted to know. Whenever someone has said to me, like, oh, look, probably shouldn't, don't go for that fight. Look, like um, – Case in point, anywhere Ilya Giardi fight, I broke my C6 vertebrae and ruptured my C6-7 disc, pushing it halfway through my spinal cord in that fight. But prior to that fight, this man was an Olympian, originally from Turkey, top rank who at the time, top ranked the American company were the biggest promotional company in the world. Arguably, it could be the company that have got Liam Parra now, Matro. But anyway, at the time, 2017 it was, my mandatory for my... WBC OPBF title. So in our region of the world, I was the champion. Now, this fellow signed to this big promotional company. They wanted to fight me. My team said no, originally. We went in another direction. They become my mandatory. And then my team said, look, you don't have to fight this guy. Relinquish your title. We'll pick up something else and we'll, we'll, we'll keep working our way up. But my whole mindset has always been, if I can't beat this guy, then what am I doing it for? Mm. Like... And that's what happens, nah. though, doesn't it? Like, yeah, oh, it fighters. happens all the time. Yeah. It happens all the time. That's why when Aussie fighters have gotten to these world titles, they're not ready for them. Where the tide has changed, like with companies like No Limit, they match their fights evenly. You'll get looked after. They put on the best shows, but you're going to be in tough fights. You're going to be in real fights, and you're going to find out if you're good enough to get there or not. So I would, I'd always beg to fight these these tough fights, and I would fight these tough fights, and that's why I've gotten where I've gotten. I never had the investment or anything in me like some of these up-and-coming kids have had. I, I I never come hot out of the amateurs. I'm rocking the dad bottom, the fat drunken concreter who wanted to be a professional fighter, and all of a sudden I'm in the top 10 in the world. I earned that. But now with these other companies pushing fighters, like you're going to see, you're going to see more and more Aussie fighters being like, up there being world-rated and world-class fighters and actually in there with a chance because these companies now are spending the money. They're actually developing talent, whereas it wasn't like that. It was all about every show making an earn off it, getting the cheapest opponent you possibly could in, putting a show on, Clayton's titles, all that sort of crap. Like it was all about just making an earn on the show, whereas it wasn't about developing talent and it wasn't about building a company like No Limit. When they very first started... My actual promotional team at the time, like, wow, No Limit are doing amazing shows. Gee, they're bringing some good fights here. Oh, mate, they're going to go under. They're going to go on. They're, they're hemorrhaging money. They're just, they're going too hard, left, right, and center. No Limit own Australian boxing now. They've got, they're the only one with a TV deal. And that wasn't, that wasn't given to them. It wasn't just like, oh, you guys can have it. It wasn't like their buddy buddies or anything like that. All the money that they hemorrhaged on the way up and the production, they've spared no expense on the production of their shows. They've spared no expense on the fights on their shows. Now they're reaping the benefits. They've come out the other side. The only reason that they've got TV is because they've done the hard yards. They put their balls on the line and they've just done it better than everyone else. Whereas other promotional companies, 
had the old model of we'll come in the back door to the world title, we'll we'll fight padded records and we'll keep defending our title, we'll get up there in the ratings and then hopefully the champion will see, okay, this guy hasn't actually fought anyone, but he's got a good record. Let's have a voluntary against him. Let's make a little bit of money. We'll fight this guy. We know we're going to beat him. And then we'll fight our mandatory after that. So that's that's how it was done before. But now Australia is a hotbed for talent. Liam Parrow, Liam Wilson, the Maloney's. There's so much talent in Australia. Jai Apatia, the lineal cruiserweight champion, Australia's fighter of the year last year. George Cambosis, he just lost the title to Devin Haney. But these massive stadium fights and stuff, like uh, boxing, boxing is alive and well in Australia right now. And uh, I'm just so happy to be able to finish my career and to be able to be still in the hunt for a world title. And all the lessons that I've learned throughout my career, I put into practice now, and I get to do it right with a great company who've got the fighters back at this point in my career. I'm just so thankful, mate. Yeah, it's credit to them. Uh, the Rose Brothers as well, so they're the ones yep. behind the scenes driving all this surely, change. Surely the people who listen to this podcast, the Cutters podcast, would know who big Georgie Rose is. No doubt. He's, yeah, every time I see George... I like, I shake his hand. I'm like, like, I've just got so much respect for Cameron Smith. Cameron Smith is my size and he's on the field with a fucking giant like you. He's a big man. I, it's disgusting. If that man ran through me, <laughs> your career over, I'd be dead. He's a giant. I yeah, just, even training around when, when we're down there at the storm, seeing the size of some of these super athletes and just running through like a steam train, it just, it's disgusting. Cameron Smith must be made of steel. His skeleton must – he's like Wolverine or something. What, how how has he played more games than any other player ever? Like he's yeah. – he played like 7 billion games or something, something like that. Like, <laughs> like how tough is that guy? Very talented. At 70 – so you weigh in 76.2 super middleweight. Yep, for one hour. For one if, hour. If you're lucky. Yeah. Then I get back in the ring the next night well and truly fed and rehydrated. Which even that was even that's been a learning a learning experience on how we how we rehydrate and how we refuel. There's been a couple of times I've overdone it and thrown up in the lobby <laughs> of uh What do you think? Is there a, um, you could probably write a book. Probably write a book. I could if I wasn't a re- well, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe not you write it, but yeah, yeah. Write it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe if I win a world title and people would want to read the book, they don't want to just hear about some That's right. fat, drunken concreter who loves a fist fights escapades. Yeah. Well, hopefully some of our listeners yeah, will follow you the rest of your journey and yeah. see you achieve your dream, mate, of um, lifting that super middleweight world title. <laughs> super, super weight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super weight right now. Yeah. It's coming down. It's coming down. Nah, it's good, mate. Yeah, well, all the best. And I really appreciate you jumping on and sharing some insight into your journey, the lessons you've learned. And there's some some quality ones in there. But yeah, just leave our listeners with one piece of advice. I think you've already touched on it, but um, yeah, I think let's just recap on that. One piece of advice that you would give someone. My advice would be just in life in general, moderation is key no matter what you're doing. But if you want something bad enough and you are prepared to work, anything is possible, like anything. So that that's there's my bit of advice for anyone out there. If you want something bad enough and you're prepared to do the work, anything is possible. Love it. And, hey, I just want to say it's lovely to actually see your face and have a chat to you, even though this is audio, but we're looking at each other now. It's lovely to actually have a chat and it it feels like we've caught up but it doesn't hurt because every time, every time <laughs> I see you, 
every time I see you or talk to you, it's there's always some pain involved on, to me. So yeah, and, I, and I'm still smiling. <laughs> <laughs> so it's lovely to have a chat and not get my ass kicked. So thank you very much, Googie. You're welcome. Well, I look forward to the next ass kicking um, and your next fight, mate. So best of luck, Jade. We'll, uh, we'll I'll definitely catch up with you soon. But all the best for the rest of your career. Cheers, brother. Appreciate that. I hope everyone really enjoyed that chat with Jade. He, boxers are a different breed, and, and Jade is definitely one of those. But some some things to take away from from that chat, Jade is just his his commitment to his profession of a boxer and a proud dad and loving husband. And Jade's journey hasn't been the normal one a boxer would would travel, but one that he's enjoyed doing. Change the game. Brought to you by the Mackay Cutters.